Well, hey, it's good to be with you. My name's Jamin. Uh, as mentioned earlier, Dallas woke up not feeling super well today. Uh, grabbed some that his daughter picked up from school. So uh, I got a text like a few hours ago. He's like, hey, you don't preach in the morning, right? <laughs> Which is true. Our, our church meets at night. So I was like, uh, nope, <laughs> what do you need? So I'm excited to be with you, chat with you today. Uh, he told me kind of what you guys have been talking about. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to kind of speak into some of those themes as well. But Dallas is a cool guy. I wish I could come here today and listen to Dallas preach. Uh, one of our churches that we recently planted, we had him come in for one of our podcasts. And we talk, it's like the longest episode we ever did, just because like Dallas had so much cool stuff to say. It's like an hour and a half, and we honestly could have gone for like four hours before that was over. So I got to know Dallas during... Uh, um, quarantine as a bunch of pastors across Jackson started getting together to kind of chat with one another and, and see what each other was doing to try to learn from one another. Uh, when I saw him in person for the first time, I was like, this guy's a lot taller than he is on, on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's been great to get to know him, and uh, I'm grateful to be able to be with you guys today. So I want to paint some broad strokes for you this morning. We're talking today kind of about God's image and trying to bear his image rightly. Now, there is a Hebrew word in the Bible called Salem. In English, we translate this word different ways depending on if there's a negative connotation to it or a positive connotation to it. Now, if there's a negative connotation to this, this Hebrew word Salem, we translate it as idol. Idols in the Bible are weird, right? I mean, I remember growing up, I was like, why on earth, what, what kind of people, <laughs> after they've seen the crazy things that God has done, why would you go and make something out of rock or gold or something like that? Why would you build a statue and then worship it? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But as we look into, uh, as I got older and I looked more into like what was going on in their minds, that isn't what ancient people were thinking. They weren't just thinking, let's build a statue and call that a god. What they were thinking was, we need to build a storage locker of sorts. We need to build a Salem, an idol, something that, that can, can capture some kind of spiritual being inside of it, some kind of God, and then uh, it can manifest in this idol and we can worship it. We can see what it looks like. We can hear what it looks like. It, it can lead us where we want to go and, and tell us what it wants us to do. We can have connection with the divine, if you will, which is what a lot of people are hungry for. Obviously, in the church, we're hungry for that, but it's with the one true God, right? Whereas people in the world, they're kind of hungry for that too, but they're searching for it in idols, like New Age movements and whatnot. They're trying to connect with spiritual beings to be told what they should do. It's, it's the same thing. So what they would do is, after they built the statue, this would be their, their idol of their false god, and then they would do rituals to move their spiritual entities into the statue, and then they would worship that. Now, God, the one true God, doesn't have idols. Not in the way that we think of it. But when we translate that Hebrew word Salem in a positive light in English, guess what word it becomes? Image. It's the same word. In other words, the false gods have their images, which are these statues that have no life, have no breath, 
have nothing. They're just dumb pieces of rock or gold or silver or whatever you built it off of. But the one true God does not need anyone to build him an image. Why? He already made some. It's called humanity. They are made in his Salem. They are made in his image. And the idea is that humanity is set apart from the rest of creation because they have an ability to do something that the rest of creation does not have the ability to do. We have the ability born into our very DNA as human beings to image God to the world. That word image, you know, people are always like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be made in God's image? Does God have five fingers, five toes? Is this what he looks like, the physical entity? Or is it that we can think? Or is it that we can think better than the animals? Is it that we have logic? Is it this or that? It's none of that. Image is more like a verb than it is like a, a well, I mean, it's all kinds of things. But if you think of it as a verb, you're starting to understand what it means to be in God's image. You are to image God to the rest of the world. So in the same way that some pagan of sorts might walk up to a false idol and look at that and say, that's what my God looks like and how it treats me and all that, that's, that's what God is like. We as Christians, with the Hebraic and Judaic and Christian worldview, believe that humanity is made in God's image and that when we gaze upon another person, we should be able to see in their actions what God would be doing on this planet. The Bible also seems to imply that angels, spiritual beings, are made in God's image. So you have imagers up in the heavenly realm, and then you have imagers on the physical realm. And on both sides of things, we are trying to show the world what God looks like. They have their own missions and tasks in the heavenly realm to, to do what God calls them to do, and we have our own earthly tasks on the earthly realm to do what God calls us to do, to image God to the world. So, what's the point then? What do we do with our lives? If you're ever trying to figure out like what's the vision, what's the mission statement of anything, you go to the front of something, right? It's usually said right there. You want to know why something exists. So when we go to the front of the Bible, what we see is that the mission is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Because at the time of the beginning of the Bible, we live in God's presence, in his sacred space, this temple of Eden. We are so close to God's presence that, that God is described as walking in the cool of the day. <laughs> and Adam and Eve hear his footsteps in the grass. It's like, we better hide. We've just sinned recently. Can you imagine being that close to God? But God's mission is not that they would live in Eden forever, but that these imagers of him would one day have children. And those children would have children. And those children would have children. And as they have more and more children, they will leave God's sacred space of Eden, leave that garden, go into the rest of the world, which is not Eden, which is not a garden, and guess what they start doing? Cultivate it to make the not garden look like the garden, to make not sacred space look like sacred space. They are, as human beings, supposed to bear God's name in such a way that this earth will be cultivated to look like heaven. So that's what humanity is called to do. 
But many of us, right from the get-go, we decided that, "Mm, God, we're not sure if you're the one we want to image, even though we're made in your image. We already have our false idol. We have this serpent come in, this kind of heavenly being of sorts. Seraphim in the Bible, these angelic beings, which we just sang about a few minutes ago, seraphim were like serpent-like angelic beings. So it's not that uncommon to think of the serpent in some kind of like angelic form. He comes in and offers a different kind of wisdom. Instead of mirroring, instead of imaging God's wisdom, how about you image my wisdom? I'm gonna tell you something else. I got a better idea. You know, you can be like God if you just eat from this tree. I know he told you not to do this, but mm, follow my wisdom, follow my ways. Image me instead. And we bought into that. And we fell for that. And ever since we fell for that, the image of God upon humanity has been twisted in a hundred different directions, right? We deal with it often on a daily basis. Our flesh wants to do one thing, but the Holy Spirit inside of us is calling us to do something else. And we struggle. Are we going to be a Salem of God, an image of God, or will we try to image something lesser? Will we try to image something God has created? Will we try to image some other spiritual being? And God, time and time again, calls us, no, just me, just follow me. And see, that's the big deal when we get to to the uh, Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Because what's the first commandment? We are to have no other gods before him. And we also see that we are not to use his name in vain. Now, if you're like me, uh, you've always thought that using God's name in vain means to say, oh my God, or something of that like. That's not really what the Bible's implying right there. See, by the time of Mount Sinai, the world has been fractured. You have all these different clans who have raised up and have chose all these false gods. You have all these different humans who have said, rather than expand throughout the earth and cultivate it to look like God's presence, we're going to bring our false gods into it and cultivate it to look like them. Even the second time, when God floods the earth, baptizes the earth and says, all right, we're starting over. Let's do this the right way this time. Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. (laughs) You know what they do instead? Uh, We went and built a tower so that we would not be spread throughout the earth. Like, they're they're just intentional rebellion. Like, God, I know what you said, but we're going to do something else. So rebellion over and over and over again. Finally, God says, all right, I will find one people that look like me. I will find one people that will image me. And I'm going to start with Abraham. And I'm going to do a miracle so that his wife can have a baby, even though she shouldn't be. So really, this child is my child. It could not exist without a miracle. And then we're going to go from there to raise an entire nation out of this. And one of the rules that they are to follow is to not use my name in vain, or perhaps better understood in English, to not bear my name in vain. In other words, they should be imaging God. God takes this very seriously. When the rest of the world looks at his people, Israel, they should see what God looks like. So much so that it's one of the big ten. (laughs) And if Israel does not image God, if Israel does not Salem God, if Israel tries to look like something else instead, they are violating one of the most crucial commandments. You're not showing the world what I look like. 
Ever since the beginning, <laughs> I've been looking for humanity that will show the world what I look like. Will you bear my name properly? Will you listen to me when I speak? Will you meet me in the sacred place, in, these, in my tabernacle, my temple? Come and hear what I have to say and then live that out. And if you follow the story of Israel, the answer is no every other chapter and yes every other other chapter all the way through like the Old Testament to the point that God finally has to deal with them, right? He's like, look, guys, there are nations that I once had you destroy because there was so much blood on their hands they needed justice, but now I'm telling you, like, I've got to destroy you now. You have more blood on your hands than anyone out there. And so he sends them into exile, telling them there will still be a remnant of you, a faithful few of you that, that are going to come out of this and will start to see the real image of God come out of my people. But for so many of you, you're not holding up the commands. You're not showing the world what I look like. You're not Salaming me. You're not imaging me. And when you show the world this complete opposite version of the one true God, you're guilty of using God's name in vain. And so God turns them over to judgment. You've, you've shown the world that you're hateful. You've shown the world that you're murderous, that you're greedy. You haven't taken care of your poor. You haven't taken, that's, that's the message of the prophets over and over again. <laughs> I, Jesus says, I sent you prophets and you killed them all. You killed them all. I sent you wisdom and you shut it up. You killed it. And Jesus is coming to say, like, I, I sent those to you to help you out so that you would get it, and yet you killed them over and over again. Just like they're going to do to Jesus himself. I mean, how, how louder of a, a message do we have to get, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the true image of God. He's the one who got it right. If humanity looked like everything humanity was supposed to look like, it would look like Jesus. If God were to put on flesh and come and live among us and say, when you see me, you've seen the Father, it would look like Jesus. So when the true image of God steps into our life and says, look at what I'm doing, look at how I live, look at what I'm saying, look at what I care about, memorize these red letters, get it stuck inside your DNA to the point that you start to image God too. When Jesus starts giving us that image to look at, we start seeing just how far we've fallen. We start seeing the Son of Man as man should actually be if it were to live without having fallen in the Garden of Eden. We see the true Salem, the true image of God. And guess what we do? We kill him. God, if you would just come down to earth and show us the way, then we would follow. Oh, that's the way? Never mind. Put some nails through his hands, put them up on a tree curse his name, leave him there to die and bleed out. We always think we're better than that. <laughs> Yet the narrative the Bible paints for us is the same time and time again. When we look throughout the last year, you know, COVID was not just about sickness in the end. It was about sickness in all kinds of ways within the church, 
outside of the church. Uh, it was about uh, cries for social justice, just as the prophets cried out. Uh, and the whole time, we started to see what kind of idols we've built. We started to see what kind of false Salems and images we've built. We came in declaring either God is a donkey or God is an elephant, but no one came in saying God is a lamb. We put our eyes on the false idols and said, this is Jesus, whereas Jesus was completely removed from those things, saying, wait, I'm over here. Are you still going to image me, or are you still going to image a different idol? Because when we image something else, when we Salem something else, we are blaspheming God and showing the world once again that we don't care what God looks like, we're just in this for ourselves. We don't care about living as God would call us to live, we're just here to live for ourselves. But there's good news that Jesus saves us, so we'll take that piece. <laughs> but let's leave the rest of it out of it. It's a call to us. Time and time again, what will we image? By the end of the Bible, there's different kinds of images rising up and fighting each other. You've got the beast, you've got this dragon, you've got a second beast, you've got Babylon, you've got uh, Lady Babylon. All these things, all these forces rising up and going at war with one another, which really, when you're looking at the themes John's trying to embody in these creatures, you're looking at themes of chaos, of politics, of power, of um, slavery, you're just looking at all of these negative themes rising up against the lamb. And yet the lamb finally stands up and says, it's enough, I'm done with this. And he cleanses the earth so that the only thing that's left standing is the image of God and the people who have borne bore it. Why? Because the Bible's full circle. It starts at a tree, it ends at a tree. And that final tree is dependent upon the middle tree of the cross. Revelation is the reset button to get back to Eden, to take those who will bear the image of God even to their deaths and to infuse them with resurrected bodies to live on into this new heaven and new earth to finally finish the task of making the earth look like heaven, of being fruitful and having filled it to the point that it can all be turned into the Garden of Eden. The image upon us is crucial. The mission upon us is crucial. And when we decide that the image of God is not something we want to live up to and we decide to bear something else, we should not be shocked when the rest of the world looks at us and says, that's messed up it is. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees who come in and say, mm, this is what God looks like. <laughs> and then Jesus comes up to the Pharisees like, you guys are so far off, you don't even understand. We always think that Jesus would say the hardest things to like the sinners and, and the people doing all these horrible things. But Jesus always reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees, for the religious people, for the Sadducees. For anyone who declared that they were the right way, that they were following God and were miles off, especially because their heart did not match. 
The Pharisees were filled with power. The Pharisees were filled with wealth. The Pharisees were uh, committing social injustice. Jesus said they were devouring widows' houses. And as they let all that eat at their hearts, it didn't matter how many laws they could hold right. The image of God was being born in vain. So I bring that message to you today to encourage you. (laughs) I feel like it wasn't very encouraging. Normally I spread out some jokes, but that's just not the way it goes. This is what happens when you're told to preach like an hour or two before you're supposed to preach. It just goes where it goes. (laughs) Um, But you are God's image, and that is a beautiful thing. There is nothing else on this planet that is in God's image. A rabbit does not hop around and say, ah, when you see me, you've seen the Father, right? No. But you as a human being may not be able to go that far because Jesus is the one who really pulled that off as a true image, but you may be able to say, look, when you see the good in me, when you see me do things out of love, then you are seeing God in this image as I'm reflecting him to you. And when you do that, you're planting seeds of the kingdom of heaven in their lives, and those seeds tend to sprout eventually, even if way down the road. So let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll continue with our service. Jesus, you are the one true image. How often I wish that I knew more stories about you. As John says, like, if, if he could have tried to write down everything, he supposes that many libraries could not have held everything that you did. But God, we trust that these four gospels that capture these visions of you have captured the specific ones they have because they want us to memorize what you did in all these situations so that when the time comes to image you in our own lives, we will look like Jesus, we'll look like God in flesh rather than look like ourselves or like a false image. We don't want to blaspheme your name. We don't want to draw a picture of you that's distorted and, and jumbled so that the world has really no idea what you look like. God, when we think of this end wedding between the church and Jesus, we don't want the bride to come limping down the, the, the hallway, her face completely distorted because of what the church has done to her. We want her to stand tall, saying we did our best to look like you in this time. And yeah, we struggled. Yeah, we failed. Yeah, we're human. Yeah, we sinned. But each and every time we try to stand back up, stand tall, and pursue you again, making our way down that that hallway towards you as our body grows more and more uh, healthy and fit to make the, the journey. You are our God. We are your people. May the world know that when they see you lived out in us and imaged in us, Salemed in us. As we turn away from false idols, we turn away from false representations, 
And we even force ourselves into the Scriptures to say, what does God really look like? Not what did people tell me He looks like, but what does God really look like right here so that I look as He's called me to look? In Jesus' name, amen.